Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. So, about 26 BC, my wife and I were... No, you should know by now. BC stands for before Cocker Spaniel. That's right. So 26, 26 uh, BC, my wife and I were on honeymoon. Um, our first night on honeymoon uh, in the Royal Yacht Hotel. You don't know where it is yet. In St. Helier in Jersey. Right on the front. It was beautiful. remember it well. Uh, anyway, there we were in the middle of the night, 2, two or 3 a.m., and uh, we, we both wake up. There's, there's this noise, cacophony of noise going on, engines, lights, voices, and we, so you sort of lay there and put up with it for, for quite a while, but finally, Sarah was, you know, prodding me and pushing me. She said, get up and see what that is, get up and see what that is. You know, start the marriage as it means to go on. She was pushing. Just get up, see what it is. I'm laying here. You get up and do it. So, um, so I crawled myself out of bed. And we had these huge bay windows. I mean, huge. 15, 20 feet across bay windows in this room. And um, so I sort of crawled myself out of bed and went to the bay windows. And uh, I looked out the right-hand side of the windows. And I pulled the curtain back. And I looked down. And there, at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, just outside the little hotel next door to our huge one were three taxi drivers with their lights on, engines running, fags, sort of talking loudly to each other, right? And I thought, how rude, how rude, I thought. So I said, it's all right, darling, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just taxi drivers with their engines running and the lights on talking to each other. And I went back to bed. And the noise didn't stop. It didn't die away. If anything, it got louder. And lights in the room and noise and engines and shouting. She says, go and have another look. It can't just be that. Sure enough, I went, this is half an hour later. I went out. The same three taxi drivers, same three taxis, engines running, lights on. I said, there's nothing I can do about it, darling. Okay, this was our first marriage tiff, night one, right? So um, nothing I can do about it. no. So I went back to bed, and Sarah said, I'm going to have a look. Now, she got out of her side of bed, went to the window, pulled the curtain back, had a look out the bay window, four fire engines, ladders up, our hotel's on fire. (laughs) Seriously. Just a different side of the window. Anyway, I could preach off that. It's nothing to do with what I'm saying. I just thought I'd show it. No, it may come up later if we have time. It may come up later. Strange though, isn't it, that? Right. So we've been talking about essence. What is essence? We've been talking about uh, the essence of new life. Essence are the unspoken things often that give new life its flavor. They they give new life its 
smell. It's, it's that, those kind of things which we, we don't delineate, we can't write down, we don't give people a pamphlet with it and say, oh, this, this is an important part of new life. They just are important things about us. And in week one, we talked about what Mark mentioned earlier, which is we are a church that uh, wants to offer faith, not a fairy tale. And there were lots of things we shoved in that little set of ideas. But I guess one was this. We want to be a church that offers faith through a gritty reality. We don't want to draw people to a fairy tale uh, full of escapism and just feel-good things. We don't want to Disneyfy the church. We also talked about this idea of what you draw people with is often what you draw them to. What you win people with is often what you win people them to. And certainly I wouldn't want to be a pastor of a church that wins people to bright lights and a loud band and nice new black seats and those kind of things. You know, coffee stations. Uh, They're nice, but they are peripheral. We want to draw people to and win people to Jesus. Jesus. And that led us on to weak Two, uh, which was a rather provocative title, purposefully provocative title, Jesus, not God. Jesus, not God. And the whole idea there was that um, most people in the world have no problem at all talking about God, particularly with a lowercase g. It can mean whatever people want it to mean. But the God who we serve, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, at a point in time, when the time was just right, they ushered themselves in, in their fullness into the body of a human being. The fullness of the Godhead, Paul the Apostle says, dwells in Jesus. They ushered themselves into a human from the embryonic stage, the God who never changed, changed every day. The God who is omnipotent and knows everything became a child who knew nothing. I mean, it's unfathomable. It's, it's incredible. And the God had ushered themselves into this body, given the name Jesus. And God walked with us in the flesh. And it's like Jesus was ushered center stage. And it's as if Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, Hey, humanity, you're really struggling to grasp us, to make sense of us. You're, you're struggling to, to find the truth of us. It's a little bit too slippery for you. So, here, here I am. Call me Jesus. And suddenly, God became incredibly accessible. People brushed shoulders with him. His, his band of closest people who wandered the land, these ragamuffins, would have slept in forest glades with him as they traveled from one place to the other. He hungered, he thirsted, he was tempted in every way, just like you and me. That kind of Jesus. That kind of God. That's the one we serve. Not some difficult to grasp ethereal concept of a human universal consciousness. But a God who took the name Jesus. Lived 
alongside it. And though being sinless and not guilty himself, for a moment became the most guilty and sinful person because our guilt and sin was plastered on him on a cross. It was love that held him on the cross. How does God love? How does God speak? How does God forgive? How does God care this much? Whoever you are, he says, come, I'm taking this for you. And then the final battle, he died. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He didn't faint. He died. And in that death, forgiveness flooded out to the earth through time itself. Welcome, forgiven people. We just have to accept it. Say yes to the God who lived and died. But if that's all he did, then that's not enough because the Bible itself makes it clear that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then all this is in vain. But Christ rose from the dead because he was sinless. Death couldn't keep its slippery hands on him. Three days later, he rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father and sends the Holy Spirit to be with us right now, bringing a sense of freedom, of hope, of forgiveness, of new life. Isn't that amazing? We are a Christ-centric church. Hey, just for a minute or two, why don't we close our eyes, just bow our heads. Never take it for granted that everyone in a, a place like this is exactly where they want to be in their heart and in their soul. But I've just explained in a, in a nutshell what is central, not just about this church, but about the Christian good news. The God, the creator God of the cosmos, became like you. Walked, lived, breathed, died to take our guilt and shame and dirty, rotten sin. Took it to the grave with him forgave us rose again to offer us new life and his Holy Spirit is here the Holy Spirit says look to Jesus come come as you are be ready to change but come as you are so I don't know in a place like this maybe there are people right now even before we start this talk who you just think, you know, I want to I wanna know more about Jesus or, you know, I'm ready right now to take a step towards him. Or even, I just want to say yes to Jesus. Thank you for loving me so much. I want to invite you, Jesus, into my life, but I want to give my life to you. Help me walk with you, alongside you. Wash me clean. Change me. Let me have that hope that other people of God, that, that even if this life does its worst to me, there is an eternal security in my heart. You know, if that's you, I want to be able to pray for you now. If it's you, I just wonder if you'd be brave enough. Every eye is closed. Just pop your hand. Just 
and bolt high in the air, really high, just for a second, just a split second, just looking around. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. There's four people this morning. Let's just pray. And then I would ask those four people at the end of the service, sorry, six people, at the end of the service, when everyone else is mingling and chatting and having coffee, just head over to the banner that says need to talk. We'll have two or three people there with, wearing lanyards. Just say, I prayed that prayer. That's all you need to say to them. Father God, I thank you for your great love. Jesus, thank you for your compassionate and merciful life. Thank you for loving us even 2,000 years later after you walked this planet. Thank you for loving us through the distance of time enough to die and forgive us. Thank you for rising again from the dead to offer us new life with a hope that is real and true and everlasting. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here today. Would you wash people clean? Forgive them. Let them sense that forgiveness even right now. as they offer their lives to you. And in the simplest way possible, they have come as they are, and they say, Jesus, help me to live with you, alongside you, walking with you, being transformed by you every day. If you prayed a prayer like that, you meant those kind of things in your heart, then today, is your special day. Do stay behind after. Pray with someone. Talk to someone. Amen. Hey, rest of the church, let's just give a big round of applause for those people that responded there. That's great. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So, um, the, the title of the first talk I did was Faith Not Fairy Tale. The title of the second talk I did was Jesus Not God. And today we're talking about compass, not clock. Can you say that? Compass, not clock. And let's read a passage of scripture together. This is from a little letter. A letter written by a man called John to fellow believers. And he's encouraging them to mature in Jesus Christ. And he does it in... The, in a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's worth reading the, the whole of this, this little letter. So it's the first letter of John, if you want to look it up in your Bible, the first epistle of John. And in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, we read these words. By this, we may be sure that we are truly in Jesus. Whoever says... I abide in him ought to walk just as he walked. That's challenging, isn't it? Whoever says, I abide in Jesus ought to walk. Now, it, I don't, it doesn't physically mean walk like Jesus walked because we have no idea how he walked, okay? Um, but, but live your life as close as you can imagine, 
as close as you are being drawn by the Holy Spirit, as close as you are being exampled to by other people who are further on in the faith than you, live your life that way. Wow, that's challenging. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Jesus follower, decades, decades. Um, that kind of verse is still really challenging, but nevertheless, it's there. By this, we may be sure that we are truly in Jesus. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. So if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, all well and good. What that, what that means is you can speak, all right? The fact of whether you're a Jesus follower or a Christian or not, it depends on whether you walk the way Jesus walked, right? And we know that's true about so many things. But here it is again for us to see. Uh, my wife and I, we often pop to a farm in uh, Shropshire. Um, it's a farm we've been visiting for, oh, I don't know, um, 40 years, sometimes once or twice a year. We had our first kiss on that farm. 40 years ago. Um, I was three, so it was that century. And um, uh, we've been going there, and, and there's a beautiful place near this farm in Shropshire um, called Church Streatham, uh, a lovely little village. And uh, that area around Church Streatham is called Little Switzerland because you can, you can drive around those villages there and suddenly the landscape looks like Switzerland. And there's a wonderful place called the Long Mind. If you've never driven along the Long Mind, you need to take your car up there, make sure it's got a good engine and your brakes and clutch are good. Okay, really, really steep. At the top, the vista is beautiful and there's ponies and sheep up there and it's just a wonderful, wonderful place. But right at the far end of the Long Mind on one of the highest parts in, in England, there's quite a sharp drop. And there's the gliding club there. But not only are there gliders, there are the, um, what are the triangular things that people strap themselves to? What are they? The sails? Is it hand gliders or para? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, we, we sometimes stop, we'll have a sandwich, and we will watch all this happening before our eyes. And you see sometimes really young people, and they're, they're strapping themselves to a piece of cloth. You know, it's a bed sheet or something, for goodness sake. You know, a little, little bit of this, and they, they fasten themselves to it. And you see them running along. I mean, they do look, they look like they're wearing a big nappy. They're really fascinating, but like, <laughs> run along. So the, the takeoff never looks impressive. Okay, there they are. They look like some kind of sumo wrestler. And there's the cliff, and they jump off this cliff, and they're gone. They just disappear out of view. And then suddenly, five seconds later, whew, they're above you, just sailing. I mean, it is amazing. But every time I'll say to my wife or she'll say to me, you'll never catch me going up in one of those things, right? But they're, they're great to watch, but you'll never catch us going up in one of those things. Which reminded me of a, a little joke I was told many, many years ago. Of, you hear about the two caterpillars talking. Two caterpillars talking and one of them says, hey, look at that. That butterfly as it flies past, and the other one says to the caterpillar, "You'll never catch me going up in one of those things." <laughs> Norman, thank you. As as in my office, I've got a star chart for responsive congregation members, and you are at the top. And because what she doesn't know is because she spoilt my punchline last week in the joke, Angie is at the bottom. 
<laughs> anyway, so, so caterpillars, here's the truth about a caterpillar. No caterpillar knows it will become a butterfly. It just crawls in the right direction and eats the right stuff. No caterpillar knows it will become a butterfly. It just crawls in the right direction and eats the right stuff. And you know, in the simplicity of my pastoral mind, I think that's all we need to do. And sometimes, let's face it, when you're on the top of the mountain, you feel like, oh, Jesus is amazing. And sometimes in life, you're just crawling, right? Oh, God, get me through this. Get me through this. Uh, and, but crawl in the right direction and eat the right stuff and you'll be transformed. Actually, the word for transform that often appears in the New Testament is the word that we get the word metamorphosis from, which is interesting, isn't it? Because that's what a caterpillar goes through to become a, a butterfly. Uh, and it just crawls in the right direction and eats the right stuff. And lo and behold, then it comes to this place of containment where I don't know what it thinks is going on. I mean, it's just trapped in this. And suddenly, it's up in one of those things. And I think that is what our journey of faith with Jesus is like. When you can run, Jesus says, come on, just run in the right direction and eat the right stuff. When you can walk or limp, just limp in the right direction and eat the right stuff. And when everything is on top of you, just keep, just keep crawling. But crawl in the right direction and eat the right stuff. And whether we are blessed enough in this life to soar like a butterfly, that's great. But one thing I know, the eternal, everlasting hope inside of me is that when this life has done its worst with me and when I'm dead and buried or burned or whatever, right? The next life. Butterfly. Does anyone remember when I preached a series on transformation about mm, four years ago? I preached on transformation. And I was, I was talking about the word metamorphosis. And a butterfly came. Do you remember that? Who remembers that? Yeah. On week one, a butterfly came, right? And, and fluttered above me. Week two of the series, a butterfly came and fluttered above me. And two or three people came up to me and they were going, that's a trick, isn't it? You arranged for that, didn't you? I don't know what they thought I did with that, like a little secret invisible thread and I was just doing this or something with it. <laughs> Or I'd somehow at home I've got a stock of butterflies or something. But anyway, I just bring them in and let them loose. Anyway, week three, week three, we found a dead butterfly. <laughs> Clearly nothing spiritual going on there anyway. Um, anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. So look, we can learn something from a caterpillar about compass, not clock. You know, it, it's about the right direction. It's about the trajectory of our lives, right? We can learn something about the caterpillar, about compass, not clock. So how do we, as a church, as a people, as a group of individuals, how do we reveal this essence about new life? About, we're a church that's about the compass and not about the clock. How do we reveal it? Well, I did have quite a number of ways we could do this, but for time's sake, I've got it down to two. We do it by our goals, 
and we do it by how we handle grace, how we handle our goals, and how we handle grace. See, in the Bible, there is lots of waiting. Have you noticed that? The Bible is full of waiting, just people waiting for stuff. It drives you crazy. People are waiting for other people a lot. People are waiting to be set free. Sometimes generations they're waiting. I mean, we read it in a few chapters, but it's generations they're waiting. People are waiting for miracles. People are waiting for relationships and marriages. People are waiting for the Messiah to come. A long, long time they waited for the Messiah to come. People are, are waiting for just the right time in God. People are waiting for a season to change. People are waiting for the return of Christ. You read them in the New Testament, the writers of these epistles, these letters. They can't wait for Jesus to come. Church, let's wait. No wonder when we also read scripture, we read a lot about patience as being an incredible virtue and endurance and, and perseverance. It's difficult to get to any New Testament book without being challenged about our patience and our perseverance and our endurance. It's something that we're all called to have. We're never called to pray for the virtue of hurriedness. May we be a rushy people. No, it's just pay for, for patience. Patience. Perseverance. Why? Because there is something about waiting. But not static waiting. Waiting in the right direction, right? A lot of waiting in the Bible, but there's a lot of hurriedness in this world. Hurriedness for meetings, hurriedness for deadlines, hurriedness for food. I mean, fast food is no longer fast food, is it? All the people are in a hurry. Got to get fast food. You have to join this huge queue now to get fast food. And then when you get to the front of the queue, it's not fast at all because people are serving the Uber drivers and all this kind of stuff. There's other people in their armchairs. They're getting it faster than I'm getting. I've bothered to come out. And it, it's annoying, it's annoying. And now I'm in more of a hurry because I'm annoyed, right? People, people hurrying for sex. Hurrying for sex. Can't wait for sex. Just got to get sex in any way I can. Seriously, there's a whole economy about it. You want sex now? You can have it now. Turn on your phone, there's sex. If you want it, you don't have to wait. People hurrying for cups of tea. You know when you make, I bet, you, I bet there's someone in the house like me, right? You know when you're making a cup of tea and you want that cup of tea so desperately? And if you're a tea bag user like me, you make your cup of tea. And you're so desperate to get it, but there's a tea bag to deal with. Isn't there? A tea bag. And you look over your shoulder and there's the bin there. It's 12 feet away, the bin. But I really need this cup of tea now and you've got your tea bag. You're in so much of a hurry, you think, oh, that 12 feet is going to take me ages. <laughs> so you have something a little closer, don't you? <laughs> like 12 inches away. Just, I'll use that. Yeah. What's that? I'll tell you, that's hurriedness. That is. You're so desperate for a cup of tea, you can't be bothered to go like that. 
You have this little special tea bag dish or something. Anyway, I'm sorry. I regret. Some people are too busy to flush the toilet. Teenagers, right? They're just too too in a hurry to get on with the world. Okay, there's lots of hurriedness in the world, but the Bible is full of waiting. No wonder Jesus told the parable about the tortoise and the hare. He didn't. Those of you who think he did, you need to read your Bible more. <laughs> Jesus, when you read about Jesus, there's this quiet, calm, unhurriedness about him. Have you noticed that? You, it just it leaps out at you. Try it. Just dip into a gospel. Pick one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and Ringo. They're, but the first four are the best ones. <laughs> read that one of the four gospels. Look into Jesus and, and just find a place where he's rushing or he's in a hurry. There's this quiet, calm, unhurriedness about Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth achieved what was needed because he became what was needed. It was more important for Jesus to slowly become who he was supposed to become. The achievements would follow. The God-ordained appointments would follow. But Jesus had to become who he needed to become. Grew in stature and in favor with men and with God. That's what it tells us. That's all we know about Jesus between the ages of 12 and the age of 30. He just grew and became the right person. When his public ministry started, he was, he would baptized because it says he needed to f fulfill all righteousness. Here he is, Jesus, the only person who's ever lived who didn't need to be baptized because there's no sin in him was baptized because he needed to fulfill all righteousness. He needed to become something. And then what did he do? Did he start with his sparkly miracles? No, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Why? So he could become all he needed to become. And let me tell you, in that wilderness, when he was hungry and thirsty, he was just crawling in the right direction. I'll tell you how I know he was crawling, because when he was finally tempted by the devil, there were no clever thoughts or stories coming to his mind. You know, all that came on his lips was scriptures from the Old Testament. This is all I can speak. Just stuff that's gone in, scriptures from the Old Testament. crawling in the right direction. Jesus, the one who we love and we serve, he achieved what was needed because he became what was needed. He was obedient. He crawled, walked, ran in the right direction. And therefore, we can say this about ourselves and about new life. It is less about what is to be done and more about who we become. Now I need to be reminded of this a lot. I'm sure you do. Because isn't there an awful lot of stuff to do? I mean there's always something to do, right? We're always making our plans and setting our strategies and filling up our schedules. 
Instead of prioritizing our scheduling, sometimes we need to schedule our priorities. And number, pri number one priority is become who you are supposed to become. It's less about what is to be done and more about what we become. So the question is, what are we becoming? Do we value charisma over character? One you can get pretty quickly. The other one takes time. I don't want to be a church that does that. I don't want to be a church that goes, hey, we're charismatic. Come to us. Have faith in us. We're charismatic. No, we want to be people of character. You know, where there's a, there's a robustness about us. We can get through that. We'll stick through that. We'll be standing at the end of that. We've got the character for it. We don't want to be a church that values intelligence over integrity. Oh, they're clever. They must be amazing. They know a lot of stuff. They must be fantastic. No, no, no. Not necessarily. But integrity. We are, as much as we can be, wrestling with this tension of being on the outside what we are on the inside and what we are on the inside is being changed by Jesus and therefore what's on the outside mirrors that integrity they're not quick things so I have a message for I guess young people here hey there's no rush don't rush don't rush this even Jesus, the very Son of God, started his public ministry at age 30. There's no rush. Become in God who you are supposed to become. And as you become that person, God sets up the achievements and the things you're supposed to pursue. Because you're hearing God's heart. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. Anyone heard this? One belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially the times I had made plans, there was only one set of footprints. Then even they disappeared, but not before a strange mark in the sand shaped a little bit like a backside. This really troubled me. This is a solemn moment. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once, uh, and Lord, you said once to me, and I decided to follow you. You'd walk with me all the way. You would walk me with me all the way, I said to the Lord. But I noticed that during the times of my life where I had big goals, there was only one set of footprints and then a single butt print in the sand. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. 
And the Lord whispered, My precious child, I love you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was because you had been walking so fast after your goals that you had tired yourself out. And it was then that I carried you, slowly. But you, my child, you kept shouting, Faster, Lord, faster! <laughs> and, hurry, Jesus, hurry! And I kept telling you to enjoy the walk with me. But you continued with all your jibber-jabber about hurrying and rushing and getting there quickly. So I dropped you on your butt and flew off to find someone else. It's not in the Bible, but thought these true. We try and hurry Jesus sometimes as Christians, don't we? We look at the other people and the other things and the other countries and the other churches and, the, and our friends and our neighbors and our, our colleagues who seem to be achieving things and we go, faster, Lord, faster. I want it now. Jesus, faster. Hurry, Jesus, hurry. Look, I've got lots of faith. Look. <laughs> hurry, Jesus, hurry. And we tire ourselves out and wear ourselves out and he picks us up. Goes, oh my child. Slings us on his shoulders. Just walk with me. Just rest a while. And we go, Jesus, faster, faster. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, faster. So he drops us on our butt. He'll wait for us, though. He'll wait for us. Goals. Crawl in the right direction. Metamorphosis. Transformation. Our goal is to become who we are supposed to become in Jesus. Do you know when I believe this, when Jesus looks at me and when he accepted me, he says, come as you are. And we come with all our mess and our foibles and our sin and our mucked up ideas and world views. And we come with him. And then he says, walk with me and we walk and we metamorphosize he he transforms us if we walk in the right direction and eat the right stuff we transform with him it's slow and it's steady and it's a lifelong journey and we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to that Let's, let's never let people think that after two years, three years, five years, ten years of walking with Jesus, their lifelong dreams, sometimes selfish ones, sometimes self-ambitious ones, will be achieved. Not going to be the case. Not going to be the case. Because as you walk with Jesus, he gives you an insight into what your true self can be in him. And this dream you'd never imagined of will suddenly become that amazing goals the second thing we can exhibit this idea of compass not clock with uh, new life is grace how we handle grace here's a passage of scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 7 many of you will know this because it's right in the middle of a, a famous sermon Jesus is speaking he says this do not judge so that you may not be judged 
The measure you give will be the measure you get. How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? It's quite funny, really, isn't it? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your own eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Anyone heard that before, read it before? Of course, it's a famous passage of Scripture. You know, in English common law, which is um, what this country was based on before laws became other kinds of laws, they were common law, English common law, and many of this English common law is still there and is enforced from time to time. There are still laws in English common law that are, uh, I guess if they needed to be enforced, they could be, but hardly one ever does. Here's a, a law that still exists. Are you ready? It is illegal to wear armour in Parliament. There, just in case you visit. The 1872 Licensing Act, of which lots of it are still in operation, says this, it is illegal to be drunk in a pub. I must say, these were valid two years ago. If they've changed in the last two years, forgive me. It is illegal to carry a plank along a pavement. I've got to, you've got to love that one. That's a law, right? It is illegal to carry a plank along a pavement or a hoop. It is illegal to handle salmon suspiciously. <laughs> so if you must handle salmon, don't do it suspiciously. All beached sturgeon must first be offered to the monarch. I mean, I've never seen a beached sturgeon. I don't know whether we have sturgeon around the British Isles, but at some point we obviously did. And if you found one, Her Majesty is you need to go and see. It is an offence to beat or shake any rug or mat on a public pavement, except doormats before 8am. This is true, by the way. I'm not making this up. This is true. Okay, you can check this out. It is illegal to activate your burglar alarm without first nominating a key holder who can switch it off in your absence. Did you know that? I mean, I know it's common sense, but all these things are uh, in their laws. Did you know the Bible is full of laws too? You can delve into parts of the New Testament. It's full of laws. This country is governed by laws. We often feel safe because of laws. Sometimes we think, oh, they're a little bit too strong, they're too firm, or that needs changing, and that's Parliament's job to do that. But, but we know where we are because of, of laws. But the Bible is also full of this thing called grace. Grace, where you know people have broken laws, God's laws. You know people have sinned, you know people have done wrong purposefully. Sometimes we mistakenly call sins accidents or mistakes. Come to Jesus because we've all made mistakes. Nah. That's not what Jesus died on the cross for. Jesus didn't die on the cross for your mistakes. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's a harsh word. It sounds harsh. It's purposefully doing something wrong that ends up in a, in a guilt or a burden or a weight on us that we carry. 
Did you know Jesus did not forbid judging one another's bad behaviors? So many people in this generation, especially in the woke generation, will say, don't judge me, you Christian, don't you judge me. And Christians will say to other Christians, don't you judge my behaviors. Did you, did you know Jesus and the apostles never revoked anything about judging people's behaviors? They were talking about judging people's worth and value. My goodness, we need people to judge our behaviors, right? Else we'd be in a right mess. That's why we need laws. Do you know what the police do? They judge your behavior. And eventually, it might get to a higher judge. But if not, if they've judged correctly there and it's sorted, it's fine. We, we're actually okay about people judging our behavior. We need people to be able to look at us and go, okay, this is part of our transformation. Let's think about how we might do this because that's not a good thing to do. I guess what Jesus is talking about in this passage and other writers talk about is this, don't be judgy. You know, there's a difference between carefully and lovingly judging someone's behavior and being a judgy person, right? Don't be judgy. Do you know who some of the best tutters in the world are Christians? Aren't they? I remember preaching once. I remember preaching many times. But I remember preaching once and saying, um, and Jesus overturned the temples in the courts of the temple. And hearing someone go, like that, naughty Jesus. As if I, I don't know whether they were listening right to me, but they were certainly tutting at Jesus because he overturned the tables, right? We just sometimes, we get in natural tut mode, don't we, as Christians? Just think, oh, that person... They've got an earring. That man's wearing his hair long. I'm a quite good tutter, aren't I? Which is rather <laughs> unfortunate. Religious people are the best tutters. Do you know when Jesus was walking this planet, he had to say these things because the Pharisees, these religious people of his day, who thought they knew better than anyone else, they were very judgy people. So judgy were they that... They assumed that people were ill because they'd sinned in their past or their parents had sinned. That's pretty judgy, right? They assumed that if you were healthy, you were righteous. If you were poor, you were cursed. It's pretty judgy. If you were rich, you were blessed and I could go on. They were judgy people. So when Jesus engages with them, he, he says something actually which is still quite profound. He, he's saying this with his whole life and his speech. People are not inferior to one another. People are not less valuable than one another. People are not more worthy of condemnation than anyone else. They are all worthy of love and grace and service. That's what Jesus said with his life. Everywhere he went. He may have corrected the disciples' behavior here and there, and he certainly did when he walked, on the, walked in on a room with them, deciding who was the best or who was the greatest. He corrected their behavior. Jesus corrects people's behavior, but he never deals with your worth more than, than that person. You're more valuable than that person. You're less worthy of serving than this person. No, that, that never came into it. So Jesus says something like this, and 
He doesn't say don't judge someone's behavior. He says this. Hey. You've got a speck in your eye, Sam. You go, yeah, I have actually now come to think of it. It's been annoying me. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a... No wonder it's causing you problems. No wonder you can't see straight. No wonder you were supposed to be on guitar this morning. You went in the uh, drum booth. <laughs> By the way, didn't he do well? Yeah. He did well, okay, okay. And, um, yeah. Yeah, let me deal with that, because that needs, that needs dealing, because you'll be no good. You'll be absolutely of no use to this church unless you get that spec sorted out. Right? And all the time I'm talking to him, I've got a great big plank of wood right, sticking out my eye. This is what Jesus is saying. right? So you may think the moral of the story is, don't judge. That's not the moral of the story. What does Jesus say? First. What does he say? First. If you know it, say it aloud. First. Take the plank out of your own eye so you can see well enough to help Sam with his speck. How long might it take me to take this plank out of my eye? Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? Hey, we all sin differently from each other, right? I'm getting on one of my pet topics now, so the sermon could go awry. We, we all sin differently from one another. And we've got to be careful when we judge people who sin differently than us. We all come from different places, and we all walk at different paces. The important thing is our trajectory. See... Maybe I've got an incredible problem with lust. I'm just full of lust. I'm just, I'm testosterone up to here, right? Overflowing with testosterone. I'm not really, I'm not. But yeah, that's my problem. Ooh, lust. Ooh. Lust, right? And over here, someone else has never had that problem, right? They're just a liar. Their problem is they, they, they were brought up to lie, and so they lie. It's a sin. They lie. It gets them into trouble now and again. It gets them out lots of scrapes too, so they think. But that's their issue. And suddenly, we meet the Jesus who says, come as you are. Come as you are. Walk with me. Let's go on a metamorphosis journey. Let's transform. But walk with me. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Walk with me. This is not about inviting Jesus into our heart. This is about giving our life to Jesus. It's what being a Christian is. Walk with me. And if you stumble, I'll, I'll pick you up. But I'm going to walk slowly in the right direction into what I am. And then I'll put you down again and keep walking with me. And so the person, over a period of time, I don't know, maybe Jesus in his grace in a miracle will deal with all the lies. And day two, oh, suddenly I can't lie anymore. But I doubt it. I think this will be a journey of adopting new righteous habits. Right? And this person over here <coughs> never had a problem with lying. Never had a problem with it. He's very open about his lust. Oh, yeah, porn. Not a problem with porn at all. Yeah, oh, every day. Every day. Pretty women, summertime, 
great, not a problem. Okay? They're walking with, with Jesus, and Jesus starts dealing with this stuff. And they're walking to Jesus on, the, on their tra- trajectory. And there's no point this person going, hey, you over, hey, watch him, he's a liar. He's a liar. You be careful of him. He's a liar. He's just, he's just a liar. You know what that is? Plank. Speck. And there's no point this person over here judging this person's worth. Got a pawn problem. Want to watch him? Don't worry about me. He's got a pawn problem. Why you'd believe him, I don't know, because he's a liar. But this, this is where this analogy falls down. <laughs> Should have picked a different sin. What are your sins? Just tell me I'll pick one. No, don't matter. <laughs> that's his, you know, that's his issue. No, that's not what it's about. Of course we have to put things in place. If someone's that full of lust, right, keep an eye out. Definitely, okay? And we, we have things in place. But the, the point I'm making is this. Don't judge someone else's worth or value because they sin differently than you. We all come from different places. And we all walk at different paces with Jesus. And the trajectory to Jesus is what matters. And that's what I want this church to stand for. Do you know when it's dangerous? It's when this person goes, Jesus, Jesus, that's amazing. Jesus, that's great. Then we need people around them going, hey, you're walking the wrong way. Or they turn around. And they go, it was better back there. Then we need people around them going, no, it's not better back there. This is tough. This is the straight and the narrow. This is a tough road. But, but look, look at him. Look at, these, look at this that will let you down ultimately. Look at him who will never let you down. Walk in this direction. Walk to Jesus, with Jesus, and we will help you. That's what this church is about. We fail miserably sometimes. We get it wrong. Make sure that there's no fire in your own building before you blame next door's taxes. (laughs) Jesus said to his closest followers, don't do anything to make these little ones stumble. Thank you. We're all little ones on a journey of faith. Some of us carrying weights from our past and our history. We're walking into Jesus and slowly Jesus is dealing with them. You don't want anyone else coming in and making you stumble. Right? Deal with that sin quicker. You need to deal with that. That habit of lying you've got, you need to deal with it in the next six weeks. No, we'll help you deal with it. And certainly you'll find out you're lying because you'll hurt people and you'll leave a trail of mess along your way, but we want to help you keep walking with, with Jesus. We want to be a church that says, hey, come as you are. We also want to be a church that says, don't expect to stay as you are. But it's Jesus that does the changing. It's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. It's us that do the encouraging. 
and the urging in the right direction. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be part of a church like that? And that's us. And I hope if there's anyone here this morning, and I'm sure there will be, who are struggling with, with sins that are habitual and they've got you in their grip and you're thinking, I'm too bad for Jesus. No, you are not. I'm too bad for this church. No, you are not. Next question, are you willing to change? Yes. And we'll help. Let's close our eyes. If we take the time to become the person the Father needs us to become, and if we refrain from hindering others in doing the same, then that's a wonderful essence to have. Compass overclock. Father God, we thank you because you teach us sometimes simply and clearly. But I thank you that you call us in the right direction all the time. It was you who thought us up. It was you who big, dreamed big dreams over us. It was you who has a purpose for our lives. And it is you who knows how we best work and how we best fit and how we best exist and who we are best becoming. We thank you, Father, for that. We ask you, Lord, now to get a grip of our hearts. Keep us committed to going in the right direction and eating the right stuff. Let our goals not be about what we can achieve, but let them be about what we can become. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.